And welcome to the 22nd Dwarf Fortress talk. This is the emergency version. We need to get this one out here because we're coming out with some new dev pages. And this is Rito, Zach Adams, my brother Toadie One, Tarn Adams. Yep. Tarn Adams here, Toadie One. And uh, yeah, we decided to, uh, since we're putting up dev pages, you can go check them out now online at the uh, at the main website. Uh, the, the top part of the development um, pages has four new sections, and they're in order this time, which is a shocking development. Um, so we just threw together a quick team of Dwarf Fortress talk hosts, meaning the two of us, and um, uh, Captain Tastic and Rain Seeker are living their, their pleasant, busy lives while we uh, just decided to answer some questions quickly and talk about these new dev pages. Excellent. Well, let's get to work. So on the, so to on the development pages, we have a new de, we have a new section at the at the start of our dev pages that is a list of of goals in order that they're going to be completed. Yeah, we 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 usually don't do this. We usually don't put up goals that are in order. But we've gotten um, the new dev pages should be posted as as um, this talk is posted. So you can go over there now if you want, or um, just go check it later at uh, at the the main Dwarf Fortress page under under development, and you'll see that there are four sections. Um, most of them are old sections, but they're they've been refurbished and moved to the top in order. So the first thing we're going to work on, this is probably starting at the beginning of December, is uh, job priorities. So we've been saying this for a long time now. It was one of the top vote getters on Eternal suggestions, and it's time to to get some work done there. We had to do some work to figure out, you know, what people wanted here because the the original suggestion was was very uh, general and kind of pointed in different directions and had different approaches and uh, it, it wasn't really settled. So we have decided uh, first off that we're not really working to change VPL at this moment. We have uh, some things that we're going to do later. We'll get to that in a moment. That will. Um, point toward big changes toward VPL. But the first push on job priorities is just going to be about the basic job selection model. So right now, as people know, the jobs pick the dwarves, and that leads to uh, bad selection sometimes. The job will just snatch up the first nearest qualified dwarf to do the job, regardless of what other jobs that dwarf might want to do. And that can lead to some really subpar selections. And so we're the, there. There's a kind of symmetric problem, though. If dwarves pick jobs, uh, they'll they'll pick jobs that another dwarf might be better suited for. So you can't really have jobs picking dwarves or dwarves picking jobs. You need to have a system that merges it all together and kind of has a a, a delay incorporated so that things can work themselves out. Not a big delay, almost unnoticeable, but just enough to uh, get the right dwarf to the right job. And this will allow you to do things like taking a skilled dwarf that you'd normally be forced to turn off their hauling uh, so that they would do the jobs that you want them to do. And and now you'd be able to leave their hauling on, for instance. They'd, they'd do hauling when they were truly idle, but they would still be able to go do their, um, do their appropriate jobs when they were available. And uh, by the same token, you wouldn't have... I, we noticed that a lot of people were setting up kind of this peasant class of dwarves, unskilled dwarves that were just set up for hauling. That should be a little less necessary now. Except that the, now we're, we're going to be working with the last of these uh, of these 
projects will be to implement new peasant classes of dwarves. So. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is the the kind of um, uh, the VPL change we were talking about. It should be it should be exciting to see uh, the the status of your your dwarves realized, and uh, certain ones you'll be able to control more than others. Now there will be a circumstance under which you can control any dwarf to a large degree, and that's going to be the new uh, do this now prioritization for jobs, which will just snatch up the nearest dwarf that can do the job, like pulling a lever and force them to do it. Uh, they'll drop what they're doing, save your fortress, might stress them out a little bit depending on the kind of dwarf, but you'll you'll be able to do that finally. And uh, furthermore, we are mindful of things like the trading jobs and the harvest and so on, and uh, hopefully that'll just be handled with the, the new job selection model overall. Uh, we, we are trying to stay away from spreadsheets and numbers uh, uh, approaches that kind of open up every single job to be ranked, you know, according to different numbers uh, for each dwarf or workshop because that is unmanageable when the number of dwarves get high. Also, it also is a, is a hint to where we're going with this, which is to get rid of VPL altogether eventually. Yeah, we would really like to restrict VPL uh, to um, a, a, possibly a smaller number of dwarves that are actually the type of dwarves you'd be ordering around like that. And we're also aware of the kind of work crew approaches that, that people have, and that will also be uh, something that's under consideration when we do understand uh, fortress citizen status a little bit better. Um, but for now, we're just focusing on these, these kind of large problems, and we've got um, those, those two are, uh, things, the do-it-now prioritization and the overall job selection mechanic. Uh, should help with with uh, most of the major problems. We have some other small ideas, kind of along the lines of the little suggestions we've been doing, like workshops being able to steal from hauling jobs if the item is nearby. Uh, we're also going to look at some of the mining suggestions, like ordered mining or uh, vein mining, that kind of thing. And uh, so, so it should be a, an interesting set of job priority changes that'll that'll do a lot of good. And uh, just keep in mind that when we do get to the fourth section of the new development notes, the starting scenarios, there's going to be uh, further changes to, to job priorities that should really uh, make the make the whole experience more interesting and dwarfy. Okay, after the first section, which is the job priorities, then we move on to Dwarf Fortress mode, inns and taverns, because we wanted to add something fun so that we weren't just... Uh, doing another giant release for uh, the sake of uh, everybody's sanity with their uh, interface problems. Yeah, the the two year release was was really long, <laughs> and there was a lot of foundational work that was done. And we're trying to break this next one up. Uh, well, we always try, but <laughs> we're going to succeed this time. The uh, <laughs> we're breaking this one up into. Um, some smaller fun stuff. There is some foundational work we'll get to, but this is not foundational. This is just taverns for fun. So we've got the fortress mode taverns. Now we had, uh, I think it was Dwarf Fortress Talk episode 12, where we really went into how this would work. So we're not gonna we're not gonna reiterate the the details too too closely here, but we will go through it. So you're going to have the ability in your fortress to lay out several rooms. Um, rooms for pl places to for people to sleep, meeting hall type places, and s some storerooms that um, make up a, an inner tavern for people to come. Uh, they'll they'll come at first just because they can, 
Uh, your guests will be people like merchants, diplomats, uh, adventurers, mercenaries, other travelers, and uh, your dwarves will also be able to go. And uh, the thing that uh, that the, the, you'll be able to do there, you'll be able to serve them drinks, for instance. You can you can sell them. We're not going for we don't have the economy stuff yet, so we're not really going for sort of full tycoon mode. Yeah, it won't exactly make financial sense to do this, but it's just for fun. Yeah, and, and it'll, it'll, it'll make more sense later based on uh, start scenarios and then later when we do the, the economic work. But right now, we're just messing around. And the um, one of the big things that will come out of this, uh, we remember back, uh, when was that, that meetup? Was it like uh, 2007 or 8 like or something? It was the second meetup or maybe the third meetup it was a long time ago, and and uh, Koji asked us to why why don't they ever use their their musical instruments? And we were we had no 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 excuse. And finally, no excuse. after seven years, now we're, we're <laughs> yeah, it's about time. It's about time for the instruments, and um, we're also going to do uh, dancing and storytelling, some other things that people can do in taverns. And this will also carry over in general to any parties that the dwarves throw. I mean, of course, once you've got a tavern, it'll be more likely that dwarves will throw a party there, but they, they sometimes will still throw them in the statues, gardens, and other places you've set up for them. But they'll be able to, to use their instruments and uh, probably also have children playing with toys, just get all the get all the items up and running. So you have this little bustling stuff going on in your fortress. Uh, people um, for, for a while now <laughs> have been clamoring for the return of recipes, which we had very briefly, and uh, those will make it back, and your your fortress will be able to uh, kind of get a reputation based on the uh, the services you have available and the quality of the drinks that you're selling, and we're toying around with ideas of having like the the local dish and that kind of thing. Uh, so that's all that's all on the table for this, and uh, in the in the notes you'll be able to rent rooms to people. Finally, you'll be able to have. Uh, games. We're we're trying to randomly generate some games. We'll do what we can with dice games and board games. have all been around for thousands of years, so uh, it's all fair. And your dwarves will be able to gamble. <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll be able to... Uh, we're, we're thinking because we have it in adventure mode anyway, the ability to play games when we when we, when we we do that part, which we'll talk about in a second, The uh, that you'll also be able to play the games directly if one of your dwarves is playing. So uh, just to just to give you a chance to see it and to experience the game and to, and to um, stop your dwarf from gambling away all your all your treasure of your fortress. <laughs> That's why it's important to understand what property means in the fortress, because until we have that, the uh, perhaps the dwarves will be able to gamble away your entire crafts pile, and uh, it'll be up to you to to stop them or to kill the guest with magma <laughs> after they win your stuff. So um, the other part of this, of course, is adventure mode. And uh, we're going to update the taverns so that they kind of align with the new fortress mode layout and add some inns along the road um, with the ability to stay in a room or buy a drink. And uh, this, will, yeah. this will also be the place to, to get your quests. Like any good RPG, the tavern is, is, the, is the central spot for that. Like it has been in all the previous versions of Dwarf Fortress, like Dragslay, the tavern was, was the beginning and end of your quest. Yeah, I mean it's 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 it is it is kind of key. I mean, uh, everyone meets up in a in a tavern and then they go on an adventure. That's how it works. And uh, we can pull some of those uh, the underbelly of society out of the sewers and catacombs and get them uh, hanging out in taverns instead. 
So you'll you'll be able to. We're we're not promising too much in terms of like having the the criminal underbelly yet because we don't have the thief arc and the economy that kind of thing. But we, there will be um, a lot of tie-ins, especially with the uh, with the next section, which is um, non-player artifacts. It's another fun thing. Uh, might as well throw that in. We already have a lot of um, stuff for artifacts from fortress mode, so. Might as well have other fortresses making them and other ways for artifacts to be made during world generation. Then we can have them being passed around and stolen and offered to other civilizations, that kind of they thing. They could actually be useful. Like, it's swords and shields instead of just cabinets that your dwarves create. <laughs> there could be these other treasures, and so so now you'll finally get the fetch quest a little too along with your kill quest. That's right. That's right. I mean, of course, we, we, we didn't want uh, Adventure Mode to kind of become just another quest game but you gotta you gotta start somewhere so we've got you can kill night creatures and so on so now you'll be able to go uh, hunt down objects for people and we have um already in fortress mode we have the thieves that come now come as actual armies that are moving on the map of course you can't see any of it but there's little armies of thieves and snatchers that move to your fortress and then they go in and take things and leave and we'd like to generalize that so that we we can get some thieves and snatchers running around the um, the world that you can meet or even be, and you'll uh, so they'll be hunting for artifacts. The artifacts will move around. You might attempt to um, uh, liberate an artifact from a dragon, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, very normal stuff. But it's it's got to start somewhere. Now, when we talk about non-player artifacts, that doesn't necessarily mean we'll be diving into all the uh, the magic stuff we talked about from from episode seven, where we were going into artifact powers and stuff. But uh, not necessarily ruling that out either. Uh, um, <laughs> you never know what might happen. So the last phase of our dev pages is the fortress starting scenarios. Now, in, when we first came up with the idea for Dwarf Fortress, the, the purpose was to create a bunch of artifacts that would uh, that would be found by the adventurers later after you were inevitably destroyed. But now we decided to, to add more framework to it to spice it up a little bit. It's never really been clear what the point was, especially when when we uh, stopped the the original plan to have the adventurer dive in for for artifacts. Well, then we were just like, well, are you just waiting for your your monarch to come and take over your fortress, and then you just sit there following orders? And so, what we're going to do is allow the player to choose what their fortress is about. Now, you can still do something like just say, hey, I'm a frontier settlement, and I just want migrants coming, and I'm building you know, kind of for my own purposes, and that's fine. But you could also set up um, some of the ideas we had were a, a religious site where you're, 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 you're setting up a temple, say, that has to obey certain, um, certain guidelines and reach a certain level of magnificence, and then uh, you'd have pilgrims coming and people to work on it. But you'd be getting but messages you know. from the gods to tell you exactly <laughs> how they wanted their thing arranged without... <laughs> And it's uh, yeah, it's, it'll add some structure to the game. It'll it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. And the the other uh, the things we were thinking about prison colony would be fun. Uh, you'd have prisoners come, um, and that adds its own challenges. We have a mining company, a military citadel. Since we'd have taverns and inns already, you could just have a, a place that you're setting up on a road just to be an inn. Uh, and you could be setting up the 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 future palace of the monarch, but you know you might have to actually have uh, some uh, some uh, requests that you're satisfying in order to uh, to make that that a uh, make that a reality instead of um, just going by general numbers. So uh, I mean it, it'll cause 
sort of drastic changes to how the game is played. The migrants that come, there might, I mean, there might not be migrants that come. They might have a certain type of character to them. To really understand that, we're going to need to add a framework to, uh, to the game that, that lets you understand exactly what it is that the a citizen's standing is in the in the civilization. I mean, are these sort of serfs that are bound to your fortress? Are they are they are they kind of frontier dwarves? Or are they almost employees of your of your mining operation? You know, so there's there's um, a lot of different ways to think about it. And so we'd like to set up a framework of law and customs, rights, property, and status, so that we can understand these things and we can make these scenarios very explicit. And um, you know, we were toying around with ideas of how the laws would be encoded. You could have one of those giant pillars with etchings of the laws on them set up by the first ruler. You could have, uh, I mean, our, our gods already love writing slabs, you know, with, with different secrets on them. So, you know, you could have a, a commandments type situation um, that would uh, kind of let you know where you're starting from, but then you, you might be able to change the laws yourself depending on the scenario. I mean, aside from the migrants, the, the caravans, you may or may not have caravans come to your fortress. The the diplomacy could be, um, you know, very different. You wouldn't expect, for instance, a giant army to attack a roadside inn that you're set up, but you may have bandits coming there and being rowdy guests that you have to deal with. And um, so it's it's uh, there's there's a lot of um, different directions that that'll go, but we've we've kind of written them down on our uh, on the development page to check out. Um, for instance, reclaim mechanics can all be folded into the start scenario system. Why are you doing this reclaim? Uh, and what is the what is the overall situation? To kind of bring back that situation we had before where you were allowed to take several soldiers with you, um, several groups of soldiers really, into the reclaim instead of just always starting with seven dwarves. And the general framework here with a start scenario, it, it kind of gives you uh, information about why the site is there. And that can be generalized to every site in the game. This isn't, you know, a massive rewrite like doing the site maps was, but just a uh, a simple categorization that'll make the game kind of understand where it's coming from. Finally, uh, with start scenarios, we're bringing in the hill and deep dwarves that we've been talking about um, yes. because some of the scenarios, <laughs> some of the scenarios really require them. So yeah, it'll be awesome. Uh, we've talked about it in previous episodes, I believe, but. Uh, basic idea is you can bring along a lot of extra dwarves with you and they don't live in your visible site but they live in attached sites and you can bring them in and out um, trade food with them and so on and eventually they're kind of foundational for the dwarf mode army stuff because they give you a lot of warm little dwarf bodies to send on uh, missions to kobold caves and stuff instead of having to essentially play a kind of adventure mode where you'd send out 10 dwarves to the to the cave you could send those 10 dwarves but also another 200 to make the uh make the numbers match up a little bit so uh yeah it's 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 exciting overall i think all this uh it's it's nice to have something in order with all this uh, stuff that's coming that's right that's right except that the promise is made that's right we've we've uh we 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 try not to set up too many obligations for ourselves but uh an obligation is a good thing uh, lets people know where we're going, and uh, here they are in order, and we're going to do them. And uh, the nice thing about this, I think, having it set up in uh, four separate sections, uh, clearly delineated, is that we at least know, unlike some of the previous releases, that 
there are going to be pauses where we can do some bug fixes, do some uh, do some small suggestions in between, and we're going to try our best to do uh, when necessary uh, releases while we're actually working on one section. But um, at least we'll have uh, have that that we can. There's going to be some breaks. There's not going to be another two-year release. And it should be entertaining. And, and really, when we get all this foundational stuff in with the start scenarios, we're looking at uh, wide open um, access to the... Uh, we have enough framework then for the economy. We have framework for armies. We have framework for doing thief stuff. We can do all kinds of things. So it'll be nice to finally understand laws and property and uh, the, the status... You can start. You can start thinking about where these uh, citizens fit into their civilizations and into the world. Yes, and we're, and to tie it up to the beginning again, we'll finally have those job priorities done. <laughs> yeah, people should should be uh, should be happy to see see some of this stuff. And uh, yeah, exciting, exciting. Okay, so now it's time for the question and answer part of the show. The first question first question comes from Dave. He asks, would it be possible to set travel restricted zones that indicated a direction? For example, two staircases, one that could be designated as up and the other one is down. So the the problem with this kind of thing is um, with, with secret doors and one-way pathfinding is uh, just technical. Um, in terms of you know how you how you calculate that, um, it kind of screws up the connected component numbers that we've got. So I don't really have a good solution for it. It's one of those things that we'd like to do, but uh, it's it's a hard problem. Okay, the next question is from deceased Nacho, and he asks: Would there be any possibility of chopping down trees in adventure mode to craft walls, doors, and chests so that we could build houses and store items like a safe haven? And a related question from Trekkie5249, will adventurers be able to do some or all of the things that they can be done in dwarf mode? Yeah, so that's the that's the idea eventually, is that um, you'd be able to do that. It's been on the development pages for a long time, but uh, it's also uh, tricky to just throw in because we're, we haven't quite decided what sorts of tools and processes we want to use in adventure mode. We probably want to make it a little more intricate than fort mode. But Fort Mode can't really support those kind of extra tools. You can already see with kind of the, the cutlery that we have, people just carrying around in Adventure Mode. Uh, it's it's a, So it's that kind of thing puts a little inertia on the process to kind of getting started on it, but it, it's something we want to do. Okay, the next question is from Louise. And he asks, what do you think version 1.0 would be like in terms of gameplay elements and also content features and interface, and may I add, music? It's hard to say. I mean, I don't even know if 1.0 is a special point anymore. But because um, we had kind of wanted to get at least some kind of tutorial thing in, we had been thinking of doing kind of seasonal music pieces and so on. But uh, it's um, one of those one of those things where it's it's hard to say that we're just going to stop and do some sort of um, graphical thing. And the mods are so far ahead of us anyway, it's almost pointless at this at this uh, point to even consider doing that. So we're thinking mainly in terms of just just the features and content in the game. I'm, I'm not sure how you differentiate those from gameplay elements. Um, so just more, more, more. More, more. <laughs> we, have, we, we have ideas of what's in and what's out, at least. Okay, the next question is from Chris. 
And yes, I was wondering if you'd be willing to talk a bit about your algorithms for generating cities and dungeons. The cities and the dungeons are mainly built up respecting the 48 by 48 tile restriction that you have to respect when you're moving around and it loads in those those chunks. So even the ones that don't really look that rectangular or square like the um the adventure um towns with the 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 plots that are divided up, especially the ones that aren't uh that are more agricultural, uh they still are all just based on moving the the center of a point and inside of a square and then connecting it to similar neighbors. Um, sometimes there's some subdivision that goes on, especially in the dungeons, but it's not all that complicated. It's just built up over time, just uh, all kinds of things built on top of them. Um, yeah, I but, like to jump in and just say how good I think they look, just to brag about my brother for a little while, because it is really hard to make maps look good. It takes a lot of math and a lot of creativity. And if you just look at the modern day ones that are mainly just handcrafted or really poorly made procedurally, so I would just like to congratulate <laughs> My brother, some excellent maps that he's drawn. Yeah, well, no, well, you're always, we're always moving forward, but um, yeah. So uh, algorithm-wise, I'm not, I'm not really sure where to point because it's, it's such simple stuff. Um, but yeah, just look at subdivisions and Voronoi diagrams, all that kind of thing. But uh, it's um, mainly just keep working on them until they look right. Okay, so the next question is from Matthew, and he asks, is there any chance of seeing a return of the Dwarven economy anytime soon? The things that we're working on with the uh, start scenarios, uh, as we we may have mentioned before, are linked into adding uh, information about property and laws, and that should uh, get us positioned to really put that stuff back in. I mean, we had problems with not having the armies moving around made it impossible to do caravans properly, and we didn't really have any good information uh, on uh, who owned what and that kind of thing. And so we've we've been working on it framework-wise all this time, and hopefully um, once the start scenarios are complete, we'll be in a in a good position to make a make decisions about where we are with that, whether it's going to be um, working straight in on trading stuff or coming at it, continuing to come at it obliquely. and From probably the uh, PFARC, say, or something. Yeah, that kind of thing. Okay, the next question is from Justin, and he asks, if multiple dwarves can claim the same position, could they gain supporters, and could they have, like, uh, their rivals assassinated or such? <laughs> yeah, that was, the, that was the idea with those claims, which haven't really been fully realized, was to to just approach this question of faction in the fortress. That's also going to be part of these. Um, the starting scenarios are going to allow for for uh, faction to develop, and as we put in ideas of of uh, kind of the extended family and different social classes, uh, that'll give more opportunity for faction to develop. If we pursue our mining company idea, uh, that'll that'll allow different kinds of factions to develop. Um, more between kind of the producers and the people who who own things, so it's something that we won't really want to explore, but we haven't gotten right into. And uh, hopefully, as we do that kind of thing, we can kind of move from the individual tantrum and the individual kind of insanity stuff that we have now that you know is gamey and 
you know, just make people fight or move out of the fortress or overthrow the government, stuff that actually happens. Okay, the next question is from Zach, and he asks, what mechanics are you going to have to implement before idle dwarves start to have some personality, say getting into fights, drinking recreationally, making art, or generally ruining the organization you have worked hard to implement? And related to that is Akero Fox asks, items with no functions bother me. I was wondering, I want to see children playing with toys, nobles wearing crowns, and I want to see dwarves drinking out of mugs and busting out into musical instruments at parties, cooks preparing dinner from their favorite pot and spoon. Any chance you will see any of this? A lot of those things um, came up when we were talking about the taverns, right? So, uh, yeah, I think this is we're finally going to start getting into moving away from these really boring um, parties and breaks where dwarves do even less and uh, giving them room to play around and to, to finally use some of the objects. I mean, I don't know about cooks using pots and spoons and so on. That's, that's, that's a harder question. It's almost like those coins that blew out the economy the first time by scattering all over the place. Right, like with the workshops, it'll have to have tools then too. Yeah, it's... It's 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 a messy question that we haven't resolved. Yeah, the next question is from Baffle Jack, and he asks, if <clears throat> the two main modes are heading in a similar direction, will they be combined so that you have the option to uh, skip to where you are the leader of the fort, or will a line be drawn between the modes, or what? So it's it's one of those things again that we've we've kind of been thinking about for years. Lots of suggestions. The original game had uh, like this idea of of being able to have your your uh, your reclaim party be formed during adventure mode and that kind of thing, and that's all still on the table. the The tricky parts are kind of we don't have any real framework for adventure mode administration yet. So that when you you can take over sites in adventure mode now, uh, at least the human ones, you can form your own little entity and become the leader of a site, but it doesn't really mean anything. And then uh, when you're in fort mode, we didn't want to allow kind of cheap stuff that would allow you to just take a dwarf and jump them off the cliff if they're being annoying by controlling them directly, and we wanted to kind of respect their autonomy. And we've we've kind of continued to think of ways that we could um, merge them together, like we were just talking the other day about having, when you abandon your fortress, being able to control some of the dwarves that leave by being one of them as an adventurer with the other ones following you, that kind of thing. But... Uh, we haven't really decided which which ways we're going to go with. I mean, we're, we we do hope to sort of have these different merges and connections with the modes, though. The next question comes from Nathan. He asks, do you have any long-term goals of adding more service types to adventure mode, like, for instance, collecting a specific or unique item for someone or, that is possibly stolen or they heard of the item and they desire it? We had just answered yeah. this question with the... With the yeah, company. yeah, we talked about this. Uh, non-player artifacts are going to kind of be our next um, step with uh, adventure mode service types or whatever the, the, the phrasing was there. I mean, I, I was kind of trying to get the game away from specific quests and so on, but uh, at this kind of early juncture, um, kill things, find items, that's all, that's all very fair. And hopefully it'll kind of organically move over to serving some particular cause or helping yourself or some, some people when you do things like that to the point that you could kind of make up your own quest and actually help someone out with your own initiative. But um, certainly when we do the non-player artifacts, this kind of thing is just going to be sticking right in our face. Okay, so the next question comes from Sizik, And he asks, if you are currently 
You currently have three in-game mythical non-existent creatures, the Centaur, the Griffin, and the Chimera. What are your plans for these? Did you pick these three to be fanciful and not, say, unicorns or minotaurs? What about the procedurally generated mythical creatures? <laughs> so, yeah, the uh, it's it's interesting because the, uh, the minotaur is uh, also a mixture of two creatures, like the uh, the centaur, griffin, and chimera, right? The, uh, the minotaur has the bull's head and the human body, and the unicorn is a... Uh, it's like a mixture of a horse and a, and a narwhal. Uh, <laughs> those are those are real creatures. Well, it could be said that all the animal people are the same kind of thing. That's true. That's true. The animal people. Um, but the 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 real trick with the 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 like the centaur is that it, unlike the minotaur, which is I mean practically a human with horns or something, the centaur really does have pieces from two separate creatures. And the other ones have two or more as well. So it's it's one of those things we hope to do procedurally where their bodies would have like splicing points and you could kind of glue them together. But the it, it slowed down a bit when we started worrying about like, well, what what about the materials and how would the hair work? It's just starts. It's not it's not an impossible problem um, or even particularly difficult, but it's kind of time consuming and just annoying enough that we haven't done it yet. I expect what will happen is we'll just start getting procedural glued-together creatures, and the uh, specific ones may may become real at some point, uh, but I'm, I'm not sure. Some point before the um, owl bear or whatever. <laughs> okay, so the next question. You never know. The next question comes from Dermal Plating, and yes, will it ever be possible to hire mercenaries in Fortress or Adventure Mode? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're adding... Uh, that in with taverns, uh, and we had we had specifically mentioned that with fortress mode that you'd be able to hire some of the people that come uh, to your fortress. And in adventure mode, you're we're I mean we're practically there. We just need some money to change hands or something. So uh, and all of that economy stuff is always a little slower than everything else. But it's uh, yeah, it's coming pretty soon. Okay, the next question comes from Krasjuriel Arnor Kasarg, and they ask. When will you work on creatures that have an alternative reproductive scheme? <laughs> I don't know exactly when we're going to work on that. We we've uh, kind of been plagued by the tadpole for a while. It's a difficult question about metamorphosis or caterpillars to butterflies with the chrysalis in between that kind of thing. There's always the zombie that you cut off the arm, and there's two of them now. <laughs> At least we've got that. We've got that, and we've got our animated skins. But. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's intriguing to to add things like that. Uh, part of the um, difficulty comes from uh, sort of abstractly respecting their reproductive reproductive schemes in world generation and so on. Uh, it gets it gets to be uh, annoying if you had like a civilized race, then it would have to figure out how to, how to deal with it in some way, and uh, so we just kind of put that stuff off. So the next question comes from Kaz, and they ask. Why can't dwarves build tables and other furniture constructions outside? <laughs> That's a really old restriction. Um, I don't know that there's really a reason for it other than it, that it seemed kind of silly at the time, back when there was just a river and the cliff and it would rain outside and you want to kind of get inside. Um, it wasn't It wasn't like we have this broad, expansive outdoor area now in the, in the Z, Z-level release or whatever, the 3D version. But before, it really made no sense to have to try and build a fortress outside, except maybe a wall or something. 
But uh, not that you, I don't know if you could ever build walls in that one. I don't remember anymore. It's been so long. But um, yeah, it's 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 uh, so it's a restriction that doesn't make sense now. It'll probably be lifted at some point. The next question comes from Tim, and he asks, "Whenever you get back to around to taverns, can we expect procedurally slash historical songs along the lines of the engravings?" <laughs> yes, yes, uh, because when we add songs, we've we've promised musical instruments. And it's not just going to say something like dwarf is playing instrument. You know, we'd never stop there. So it's going to initially there will be um, it, it'll at least name the songs, classify the songs as different kinds of artwork. Because you remember the um, we don't just have engravings. We have like the uh, the necromancers books and those go, you know, very specifically into the subject matter and so on. And I, I, the songs aren't going to be any different. They'll probably be stored in the same way. I doubt we'll get to lyrics and stuff now. We had kind of threatened to do the uh, the romantic poetry generator and stuff, um, but I, I, I think it would be a little premature to jump right into that. But uh, there's going to be information there, and uh, you'll probably even be able to go into the adventure mode tavern and and sing a sing a favorite song uh, of the of your culture and so on. Cool. The next question comes from Fred Lobster, and he asks, Have you ever considered allowing? Alternative positive strange mood types. So if this means things like that, that where you don't, um, you aren't just building an artifact, but the architect has a weird mood or the, the miner has a weird mood and produces um, something more appropriate for their profession. I mean, those ideas have been floating around for a long time. We haven't really kind of decided. We don't understand the strange mood itself well enough yet to sort of have answers for those questions. I haven't really explored it. It's kind of tied in with magic and and that kind of thing. So it, it's it's possible that, that things like that could happen when we get, you know, kind of much further along. So the next question comes from Super Bob, and he asks, will we ever get some chemical interactions going on? And his other question is, how about allowing the player to control for austerity measures in Fortress Mode or even martial law where food and booze could be rationed? <laughs> so um, chemistry, yeah. I mean, aside from the things we have with, like, lye right now and, and, and making soap with, with fat and so on, it's, it's um, something we haven't done much with. I mean, to the point where we have giant walls of anhydrite outside that just sit there and get rained on and nothing happens. So it's that's that's kind of the thing that makes it difficult to think about. And also that, yeah, I don't have a kind of working practical knowledge of that kind of stuff to know kind of where to start and, um, you know, what they'd be useful for. And um, there's always the problem of fantasy acid. You want acid to be able to do horrible things to people. But that would be like magic acid. <laughs> but it's, uh, um, yeah, so I'm not sure what we're going to do with that. I mean, there's a lot of cool things to do, but, uh, yeah, hard to say how that's going to proceed. And, um, for, uh, austerity measures, it's kind of interesting. Like when we get to the, uh, the laws and the new framework in the, uh, after the start scenarios go in, you know, will the player be able to enact laws? What kinds of things will they be able to control? Uh, we've been kind of poring over law books and so on recently to get a feel for this as we're planning ahead. And, you know, you really, even back then, you go into the minutia of things. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of possible control you could have 
it's it's hard to say where it's going to go, especially if you're like running a prison colony or something. <laughs> right, we want to walk down the dwarves in their cells or something. <laughs> okay, the next question is from Antonio, and he asks, "Do you plan on adding things such as genetics for selective breeding of animals? Would it be ni- it would be nice to choose which animals reproduce so that we could raise cattle that give more milk or sheep that have better wool and such." Yeah, we only got started on that genetic stuff. It, it right now the the little genes sitting inside the animals control their color and their overall size and other physical characteristics that are are controlled by the the modifiers in the raws. But we don't have any kind of modifiers in the raws for milk amounts or um, and there's no wool quality at all. So it's um, just another one of those those features that needs to be extended as you go, and then you'd, you'd have the, the breeding uh, kind of just come along for the ride with that, at least to a certain extent, because you have the individual animals you're breeding in the fortress, and then there's the matter of recognizing a breed. We already have a, a breed structure set up that separates out kinds of, of animals in different civilizations. It even uses it on the, the civilized people to do things like hair color and stuff. Uh, that so that the the people look different, but um, going from one to the other, it's not a super hard problem. It's just a little annoying, you know. What is the specifications for the breed? What things are in? What things are out? That kind of stuff, and then yeah, just all those extra variables when you actually want to make it matter economically. I mean, size is important for things like war animals, but uh, yeah, there's a lot more that can be done there, and you know who knows when. The next question comes from Jimmy One Two, and he has. Have there ever been any planned features or goals that you had to scrap because it would be too impossible or time-consuming to implement? If so, what were they? Well, the the big fat example is the economy for this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've we've we had that for briefly. It wasn't working. We tossed it. There's really a lot of things that are like that <laughs> that end up getting changed or don't get done. I mean, I always throw time travel out there, but there's plenty of them that are that have been very difficult, um, the different fluids, mixing fluids, that kind of thing. Like, we really want to have flowing oil in the game and stuff like that, but there are tricks to getting that to work in the, the 3D setup. I mean, even things like thin ice we haven't done yet, and there are complications to doing it. So, uh, yeah, there's really, a, there's really a whole lot of stuff, and but the whole game is kind of growing slowly, and eventually we'll get a few of them. So the next question comes from Ignacio, and he asks, are you planning to implement a better model of the different layers of soil and stone? It seems strange to find soil only on the first two levels or in underground caves and also underground rivers. Yeah, I mean, we put the soil on the top because we were kind of trying to do a sort of sedimentary model with the bedrock underneath. I mean, the whole thing is strange. that It's got those giant caverns, um, and there's a lot of things that are missing in terms of how the, how the soil is laid down or how the stones are, are placed and so on. So we we especially are missing like the alluvial stuff, uh, like all the river stones and how the rivers um, spill out sediment, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know specifically what the the issue was, but I mean, there's there's stuff to be done. Um, but we're probably going to get to things like canyons and cliffs and stuff before we look at any of that again. The next question comes from Polly, and he asks, "Have you ever planned to make improvements to the to new features to?" such as machinery, cave-ins, and collapsing the aquifer-related functionality. It would be exciting to penetrate the aquifer layers and use some kind of cave-ins, pumps, or constructions, and at the moment it can't reasonably be done. Also, is it, it would be awesome to create a bigger constructions like moving walls, lifters, and mine trains powered by steam. 
<laughs> we, I, I think people do break through the aquifer somehow. I don't know how they do it, but it's it's probably not a reasonable uh, reasonable solution. And I don't know much about that, like how how people deal with large bodies of water, especially with period stuff. So um, I'm not sure, but we have uh, we do have the the sort of moving fortress pieces and elevator type stuff that is um, going to go in, and we're going to do uh, boats the same with the same machinery. That that'll come, you know, it's on the dev page. Uh, when it comes in, I mean, we're not we're not too interested in steam power. We don't really want to kind of get into the whole steampunk aesthetic, even though I guess, I mean, I read online recently that someone had classified us as like clockwork punk or gear punk or clock punk or something like that. I don't know why it's, um, why it's punk, but it's, uh, there are, there are, there are gears in the game anyway. Okay. The next question comes from Sopsetmet Koaisi and they ask, how is planar travel looking? How will adventurers and ports reach into the next plane? Will there be noble titles for each plane and the requirements for each noble? Will they be available from the get-go via workshop-like building and simply contain too much danger for the unprepared fortress to breach? Will adventurers need to find special portals, magic items, and train a planar skill? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> it could could be anything. We haven't. I mean, planar travel is a difficult uh, problem to add, and we're not we're hoping when we add stuff like that in that isn't, isn't just some fixed setup, but it's, it's different every time. Uh, and since we haven't added anything, I mean, it's going to be procedural from the beginning as for, you know, technically how, how hard it's going to be to do. Um, we, it's, it's basically like adding the Z coordinate that took some months. So we're not eager to jump in there and do it. We have a little bit of the framework set up, but not much. Uh, so it's I mean, it's it's just one of those kind of somewhat distant features that we're excited about doing but don't want to get sidetracked into right now. Okay, and then the next question is, how much magic will be available to dwarves and what would you like to see it represented in? Will it be limited to alchemy or hedge wizards or will it have schools of magic available as different classes, of, as different classes of soldiers are today? Um, well, I mean, we've talked a lot about magic, um, in the, in the previous episodes and, uh, that, that kind of with dwarves are sort of baseline ideas, all artifact based and that beyond that, it would kind of be slider based. You could go to the no magic world or the very minimal magic world, or you could start getting into this kind of factory based magic that we'd, we'd prefer to stay away from for the, uh, the kind of default setting. Uh, I mean, it's like D and D magic is is often, you know, seems kind of factory based. Factory like so, your wizards are creating plus five swords every two hours or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's not it's not magical really. It's just fantasy, I guess. But uh, the um, yeah, so we're kind of hoping to to thread a needle with the default, but to throw in some options. Of course, you can't just talk about throwing in all kinds of magical options in fortress mode without respecting some kind of like, how would the interface work or how would you choose um, to organize these things, especially if they're all procedurally generated. It's a difficult problem. Uh, we'll, we'll just kind of see what happens, but we'll probably start with artifacts. Okay. Their next question is, will walls and floors remain indestructible at an ideal end of development? Uh, no, <laughs> no, the, uh, the walls and floors never intended to be, 
indestructible. I mean, when you have the magma slap up against a wooden wall, that's that's silly. It's just that there are some difficult um, problems to solve speed-wise to get those things to work. And if the question is more along the lines of, like, invaders and stuff, I, mean, I think we've been over-digging invaders a lot that were pretty much for it. Um, but we understand some people would want to turn it off. Okay, and their last question is, will there ever be a way to specify what the subject of a statue or engraving ought to be? Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's that's uh, I believe that's up on the dev pages, but it's it's in our in our notes for things uh, what you should be allowed to do. Now we we like dwarves to be um, as autonomous as possible. We'd like the dwarves to come up with their own artwork and that kind of thing. But if you want something, uh, especially if you're doing like a temple or something, and you want a statue of the particular god at the the northern wall of this room uh, situated in just such a way so that you can satisfy the requirements um, of what, what the temple should be like, that kind of thing. Or you want to make a, a, a picture of an elf dying because you don't like them and you want to stick it out front and make it out of wood. Yeah, that's all, that's all, that's all cool. And, uh, you know, the dwarves should enjoy working on those projects in some cases. Sometimes they should be a little upset to have to work on a commission like that, but uh, there are lots of different ways to handle that. Okay, the next question comes from Eric, and he asks, when will goblins be able to take things from the battlefield, and how hard would it be to track what they take? Well, it's, it's kind of a, a similar question to um, just caravans in general, army equipment, all that kind of thing. We've got moving armies now. We don't have anything about their equipment, and... There are not too many complications to doing that. We just haven't done it yet. So getting things like um, having your uh, your the, the attackers raid the battlefield and so on. We have some, some little stories about that. I remember Battlefield Lunch was a story with scavengers on the battlefield. Right. And uh, <laughs> there, there, we had a, some power goals about that kind of thing too. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's on the radar. We don't, well, we need the, we need battlefields first. I mean, there's the fortress battlefield, which is one thing, but, um, there are lots of other things that need to be done, but, uh, mainly the issue is, uh, item equipment, which will come in around the time of the, the caravans most likely. The next question comes from Zhao and he asks, do you plan on having adventurers be able to cook their food? Do you plan on detailing the cooking so as the things will be made of both flour as cakes or breads, while others are made of honey and sugar, would be called candies or something like this. Yeah, we used to. We just had a little bit of a framework for recipes um, originally, and then it was removed, um, just as typically happens when we're pushing forward on stuff. And we're going to come back and do that with the taverns. It's on the list in the order development list, and this is kind of what we mean by recipes: that you'll make things with stuff that have proper kinds of names. I don't know about requiring the adventurer to cook at this point. That's not that's not right now in the plans. But I mean it's certainly certainly reasonable that people should have to preserve food and otherwise not get all kinds of infections and nasty stuff crawling up inside them and so on. Okay, the next question comes from Red One Eight One and yes, will gods actually be implemented so that you can go and kill them with your adventurer? Or an attack by a god and his minions on your fort if your dwarves have lived in sinful ways. Maybe this should be grant maybe they could grant you a wish if you manage to find them. Okay, so this is this sounds like uh, our friends when we would they would we'd invite them over to play Dungeons and Dragons, and they'd want to kill Odin. <laughs> or Odin had to go. I don't know why. Yeah, <laughs> we never did that. We always were stuck on level one. We were like computer games. That's the way we ran our adventures. 
Yeah, we were bad. We never never tried high level characters in any of the RPGs we played. Uh, certainly, I mean the the gods right now in the game are in world generation. They're a little bit active, and they have their angels. You can kind of find now in the world. So it's and some of our power goals talk about physical manifestations. So certainly, at some point, uh, that's probably going to happen, uh, especially for kind of pantheons that get kind of weaker down on the human scale of things rather than being omnipresent and so on. So it's uh, it's certainly fair, and especially attacks by gods and their minions. I mean, we have the minions now running around. Uh, at least in their little homes, but so yeah, it's it's it it'll be a, an ongoing process. We may see a little more activity from gods in the making of laws and the making of artifacts, perhaps uh, coming up. Okay, the next question is from Andrew Montagna, and he asks: Fort mode causes a form of time dilation to beset the world. I was wondering how ingrained into the code the time dilation in Fort mode is, and whether it has any appreciable effect on the rest of the world and whether it could be possible to, for the time dilation factor to be altered by the player. Um, time dilation is pretty hard-coded. It's all over the place. Uh, it's faster that way to have it compiled in as a constant, and I don't see changing that. Uh, it would be bad news um, to do that speed-wise, I think. so. Uh, it's, and it's, it's kind of the, um, the most uh, sort of irritating, I guess, problem between the two modes is this that they work on these different time scales because it makes I mean it changes all kinds of things like how much alcohol is the dwarf drinking when they drink one unit and it should it be the same amount that the adventurer drinks and it's uh, so there are things that get abstracted but then if you're switching between modes is it supposed to generate more items to represent those items and how is it supposed to kind of put the uh, the genie back in the bottle when you go back to another mode or whatever so it's there's there are a lot of problems with it but it, it's also kind of important that fort mode go fast uh, so that you can see children be born and grow older and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that's just one of the, the difficult problems of the game. Okay, the next question is from Robert, and he asks, is there any particular function you would like to redesign, refactor, or even remove from Dwarf Fortress mode, and if so, why? We were thinking about this one a little bit, and... Uh, it seems like everything works that way. <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, if you had to say something generally, it would be just the interface, probably, right? Yeah, I mean, if we're if we're if we're if we're going to the obvious things, yeah. the interface and all that is is terrible. But the, uh, I mean, the 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 do it redoing the fluids, redoing the pathing, um, uh, redoing every uh, everything, all of the. All of the industries, how the buildings work. I don't even know if I'd come back with workshops or just go with the zones approach that we've all been talking about for so long. There's uh, really a lot of things that, that can be changed, and that's kind of the just the, the regular process of game development is just moving forward and gutting things, especially on a on a project like this. That's right. That's right. Next question comes that's from right. Abba Noob, and he asks. I've read in the forums that you've had plans to make children learn stuff so that they aren't totally useless before they grow up. Are you going? How are you going to do this? Are you going to create schools with children that come and learn specific skills, and where the amount is learned is proportional to what the teaching skill and the student's concentration skill? Well, I mean that's how we run those uh, those training sessions now for the military. But with uh, with children, I mean, we don't, I don't know much about 
any kind of sort of organized schools that that were period. There are probably certain certain specific examples, but um, mostly be along the lines of the the kind of apprentice relationship is a big one. And then you could have, for instance, the child could actually be useful and move items to the workshop while the master works, for instance, and they could slowly pick up skills so that when they um, become a, an adult, they could already have sort of a, a couple of skill levels that they've that they've obtained during this uh, process. I mean, that's not a really a big deal when you consider the larger picture since the dwarves gain skill pretty quickly. But when we do things like um, adding shoddy quality levels, like negative quality levels for people that don't have the skill, and we make it harder to gain the skill when you start from nothing because you don't know anything and you can't just invent thousands of years of work by yourself, it will be an interesting thing indeed. <laughs> and the learning of children may actually become important if you if you play a fortress for any period of time. Okay, the next question comes from Frankie Plays Games, and they ask, will you ever consider having patients in a hospital be visited by their family and friends? Could this lead to last goodbyes or and happy thoughts or even sad thoughts with both the visitor and the patient? Perhaps they could do this while they're on break. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a good idea. Uh, we, um, we've, we've considered similar things. I don't remember if we've considered that particular ones. I mean, we have things about funerals and um, uh, anniversaries and wedding parties we already have in the game, kind of. Uh, I guess we're, we're, we are going to start making breaks a little more interesting anyway. <laughs> and, uh, you know, slowly we'll, we'll be putting things in, and as we're reminded about things like this, uh, they'll start to creep into the game. But um, just having the dwarves be able to do some interesting things on break is going to be a good, I think, motivator to making that part of the game more interesting and be good if the sort of dwarves' idle life is entertaining and interesting enough that you don't feel like you're just losing work when it happens. The next question is from Jacob, and he asks, will, no will nobles give a better explanation why they want something? <laughs> Well, there isn't really much of a reason right now. They do have their preferences, where if they prefer a certain material, they'll ban its export and then demand that you make stuff out of it. Um, and that's really all the reasons um, that we have right now. I think as the the start scenarios and other things move forward, we'll probably slowly move away from uh, arbitrary demands being the one of the forces at work in your fortress and move it over toward things that actually make a little more sense. And then uh, hopefully... By that time, you won't you won't need uh, better explanations, or we'll provide them when they're necessary. The next question comes from Chevel, and he asks, "How often does Three Toe play Dwarf Fortress, and what mods does he use?" Well, I don't use any mods because I'm usually playtesting the Legacy mode when it comes out, and I can't even resize my screen. That's how hard where I am with Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we've got him playing playing quite a bit. Okay, the next question is from Jason Mel, and he asks, when you begin work on a major new Dwarf Fortress release, what process do you go through to determine the scope of its new features? How do you go about deciding what will be included in major release and what its boundaries will be? Well, this is exactly <laughs> what we're doing now. We're coming out with a series of things that are going to be in the next releases, and we're going to try to to make this kind of contract with the, with the fans, what we're going to do next. This is yeah. new, new experience. Yeah, I mean, we we've uh, we had that two-year release. That was a really painful process. I mean, I'd say that, that when we talk about major releases, 
Sometimes we don't know they're going to be major releases. Other times we know they are, and it's been different every time. So there's not there's not some process that we've been sticking with for the last 12 years that uh, you know we just do it. We just say okay, it's time to do the process again, um, and we're trying this time as as hard as ever to uh, keep it reined in, keep a um, clear divisions between the things that we're going to add and um, make sure that we can get several releases out when uh, when we do start working on new stuff in December. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll be successful this time. Uh, you can see the lists. Uh, it seems like it will, it'll work. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, only have to wait and see. I mean, there's it's easy to overlook stuff. There are so many interconnections, so many different things going on that it wouldn't surprise me if we had to go on some tangent and then that, that can get out of control. But uh, we just, we're just trying, trying to think about it and do a good job. Okay. The next, re- the next question comes from Nawab and he asks, Tony has mentioned in past episodes in relation to putting more randomly generated things in the game that he's worried about the crazy sludge problem. Essentially that's an excessive amount of randomized materials and animals that will lead to people simply not caring either way. I was wondering what plans you had, if any, to stave off, uh, stave off as an amount of randomized content continues to increase. Well, it's um, our our main plan, and it's not not really a specific plan, is just uh, handling the um, the whole the whole world basically through exposition, uh, so that you're introduced at first to the main concepts, and now this is assuming a completely random world or a, one that has really important random elements to it. Say if the, the map had giant random strange features on it and there was a whole civilization of creatures that was completely different and randomly generated and say half the plants were generated or something, uh, then we'd, we'd first want to add to world generation some extra paragraphs. Because right now world generation not too exciting. The, the years go forward and the, you just look at a map that kind of hardly changes most of the time. So you could interact a bit more with that, or you could have some just a paragraph or two kind of explaining what the general uh, really big picture stuff that everyone who lives in the world would know. Like, um, you know, what what is the, the major kind of geographic point? What's a strange kind of civilization? What about it? And then as you encounter things, kind of continue to feed feed you that information with, with some paragraphs and so on. It's, um, uh, I think manageable because the default setting would be sort of at the mid-level where a few paragraphs would handle the the this the strange points from the beginning and then if you encounter a few weird animals later you can look at their descriptions and feel pretty well at home with what's going on um now if you crank the slider <laughs> so that you get to like scrap the raw files entirely and just you know go um go with 100% random content then I think as the player, you would know what you're getting into uh, when you do that, and it might you know nudge you a little bit and tell you you know this is what you're getting into, so that you can you'd be prepared to read some more material and um, also just kind of roll with the punches if your dwarves suddenly die because they step in some kind of carnivorous grass or something, and you're just like, well, okay, that's part of part of life and death in uh, this world. So um, I think I think as long as uh, I don't just dump it right now and just go make all my generators and just kind of throw it all over the game, I think we'll be fine. Okay, the next question comes from Pookie, and they ask, are we going to see AI adventurers passing through the fortress 
going on some weird quest and requesting some of your guards to and gear to help them in a promise of a reward if they return and succeed in the deaths of the followers if he doesn't. Well, that's I mean that's a, kind of a specific example I guess, but the uh, we're starting with the the dwarf the dwarf inns with the the kind of say a mercenary that comes through that you can hire and. The the trick with adding uh, kind of expanding AI adventure activity is is the kind of repair of the world issue. If you have a bunch of monster hunters um, and night night creature slayers running around slaying night creatures and killing monsters, they will quickly depopulate the world. If the um, if there are too many of them, or if their job is a little too easy, or if the night creatures don't replenish themselves, so it's it's something to approach with some caution. Once that's in, though, then those people will visit your fortress because that's what they do. I don't know exactly when we get to sort of the specific diplomatic interaction with them that would cause them to kind of actually involve you in a specific quest. Uh, and we were starting with the, with the mercenary stuff, and that will have a bit of that in it um, because that's their job. But um, yeah, so it's 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 something to be cautious about, though, and not not actually jump into too quickly until we uh, get these. For instance, getting the uh, vampires to convert more people, or getting the I mean, werewolves do a pretty good job converting people, actually. But the uh, the night trolls don't do any of their conversions, uh, or, or they only do them in world generation. They don't do them after, and uh, that would be kind of a requirement before we got those those kind of. Uh, things set up, and uh, yeah, we'll have to see what happens with the artifacts as well. Next question is from Eggman360, and he asks, do you think that it would be useful for object interactions to include such actions as dipping items and weapons into other containers, liquids, or contaminants? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we have, um, we actually had, uh, I mean, the, the veterans will remember this, the uh, the old uh, kind of bat people, for instance, that rode around on their giant bats and went up and down the chasm had blowguns that were dipped in giant cave spider venom, and uh, it worked. It paralyzed your dwarves when they got shot. So that kind of thing, and that code is still in the game. A coded item will pass along whatever syndromes to the um, the person that is stabbed, and so dipping would work immediately once you had access to a poison like that. Uh, so it's just something that's kind of missing from the adventure mode interface. Uh, I'm not sure about dwarves. We never really thought of them as poisoners, but uh, we'll see if that changes as we <laughs> when we get our prison colony up. Okay, the next question is from Adventurer, and he has, I'm wondering now that the world is slowly becoming alive, what are some ways that you imagine fortress mode will interact with the world in the future? Things like maybe sending help during a siege to nearby hamlets or exchanging hostages. Yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of one of the major development goals, and actually the reason we're adding hill dwarves in with the start scenarios is to allow you to kind of um, have the numbers to take part in uh, the broad range of of things that can go on in the world, and we have a kind of plan more or less laid out for sending out patrols and uh, gathering a, a number of of uh, hill dwarves as well and sending them out and maybe being able to stomp out a kobold cave, for example, or to uh, res respond. There was actually a, uh, I think, a power goal about getting a request for help from, say, the humans and sending out a squad that actually manages to help uh, resolve the conflict in their favor. 
and having it like actually be a part of world the world that you were uh, involved in and just getting that done would have satisfied that power goal. Uh, so it's it's definitely something we're pointing towards, something that's uh, been on the menu for a long time, but uh, we're continuing to make strides in that direction, and this directed development plan is going to be part of that. Next question comes from Christoph, and he asks, if you had to pick just one amazing thing that your fans had done in-game, what would it be? Turing computer, for example, or... An overly complex trap of some sort is another. I'm not sure what is your own personal choice. Well, I, we we recently looked back at that life computer, right? That was uh, yeah. I think that's yeah. probably the best one. <laughs> but uh, one of my favorite things that the fans have done is is uh, when they climb to the top of the highest mountain in their world before we had really conceived of that as a a possibility. And when they did that, they actually escaped the atmosphere and froze before they can make it to the end or just in time. And I just thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, in honor of those people, we actually added the announcement for summoning a mountain that wasn't there before. Yeah, there there are so many different things. I mean, Yeah, the, the water computers are crazy. Yeah, the water computers. And we were troubled by the mermaid bones, of course, and uh, and troubled by the, the well filled with vampire blood that allowed people to kind of make a vampire army and oh, stuff. Right, there's, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's <laughs> the way they weaponize every little thing. And, of course, the stories have been amazing, the YouTube movies and stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Okay, the next question comes from Hermes, and he asks, in one of the Conan stories, he goads a monster into attacking by yelling at it from the top of a rock. In the new combat conversation systems, will such kind of interactions be possible, even if the beasts themselves can't participate in the conversation? <laughs> so, yeah, you can talk to your god that doesn't talk back, um, but you can't talk to beasts I don't think it lets you and you should be able to and also it should kind of understand that the sound is being produced and, and that it would say give away your location um, doesn't do that yet not not a hard problem just kind of the growing pains of the system and um, I expect you'll be able to do that in time I mean you can already see the sound indicators for conversations that are going on inside of buildings and it's uh, just something that, that they need to be taught about basically the next question comes from Martin, and he asks, Fantasy worlds are known for their abnormal, natural, or human-made landscape features, which constitute a significant anchor point in the legends, conflicts, or just to add a bit of style to the storytelling. Dwarf Fortress World Gen tends to generate perfectly realistic but rather unfantastical worlds. Do you consider this, in the foreseeable future, some sort of modification to World Gen in order to provide a less Earth-like and more fantasy-like terrain and structures? Yeah, definitely. The uh, and not just the planar stuff. I mean, we that's that's one side of it, but that that's that's really extreme. Um, and before then, we'll probably see uh, one of the other dev items um, that that was posted, I think, and it's certainly in our own dev pages. Is those kind of world-spanning features. We have these kind of evil good regions, but that's that's really just a a very small chunk of it. I mean, we've talked in the past about uh, sphere-designated regions, and we kind of played around with that a little bit with the the Vault Angels. But um, more than that, having having features that are region-sized that can can kind of twist throughout the world in different shapes, like spider web shapes and stuff, and be analogous to rivers but not be rivers, or be analogous to a forest and not be a forest, and just kind of so be blobs and webs and all kinds of things. And uh, having it understand, you know, what what it means, what it does, where it came from, if anywhere, and uh, yeah, I mean that's all that's all part of the plan. And uh, I guess the only reason that kind of thing hasn't been done yet is is that it is sort of a side note to basic frameworks. 
rather than and then leading to other things that's just cool by itself. But uh, we do do that kind of thing occasionally. The next question comes from Simon, and he asks, how much have you been influenced by the weirdness of old-school D&D and fantasy literature in your game? Things like fungi forests, randomized creatures, forgotten beasts, and the low survival rate of adventures are all characteristic of old-school RPGs, much so less in the modern era. Yeah, we know we were. Yeah, we were influenced by a lot of that stuff. The uh, I, yeah, I don't remember where the first fungus forest was. Was that just journey to the center of the earth or something? I mean, that's where that kind of thing comes from. It doesn't seem like a normal thing to think about, but there it is. Uh, randomized creatures from Starflight, pretty much. And we yeah, we played those unforgiving games <laughs> in the past. And we yeah, we've read a lot of those books. I think I think the original email that had this question referenced the Appendix N of the. D&D books, and that was just kind of a list of literature that influenced Dungeons and & Dragons, and we had certainly read many of those things. So um, I think it's it's fair to say, especially because our game has basically been, even though we didn't achieve too much, it's been the same idea from around 1993 or 1994, uh, the same basic uh, idea and the same kind of level of characters dying, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we, we just haven't been influenced so much by the modern uh, RPGs. Although we probably have a lot of similar influences. The next question comes from one bad Terran, and he asks, "Will we be seeing an option in World Gen to select a continuous landmass or separate continents?" So you, I think you can kind of do that now if you use the grids and subdivide the grid and put a lot of variants for different. If you want separate little islands, but there's not a lot of control uh, right now. And I think uh, that's that's a fair thing to do. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of a hard question, like which which sort of options should be brought up to the main menu and which kind of things should be left down in the uh, detailed menu. Uh, certainly, those kind of suggestions, just like as happened with the polls recently, those things eventually creep in when people suggest them. And the next question you had was, will we ever find dwelling creatures deep within the mountains that live in their own little room? <laughs> so I would say that the night creatures already have their little rooms in the mountains. That's true. That's true. And we just kind of lack a uh, something you can stumble across when you're mining. That's analogous. <laughs> like what lives down deep in the rocks there? We don't know the secret hidden lives of gremlins and gorlax. <laughs> Will we ever see sandalwood and be able to use its fragrant oils that can be extracted from it or driftwood? Yeah, I guess we have driftwood on the beaches, but you can't really harvest it or anything or do anything with it. And the oils, I mean, we expanded this game, uh, the vegetation, greatly recently. And, uh, you know, that that kind of thing, probably not going to push on that again for a bit, but certainly that's uh, that's where it's headed, just using all of the different kind of economical properties of trees and plants. Okay, the next question comes from Terrapin, and he asks, how will exports from the fort affect the civilization and others? If we have a fortress churning out masterwork, steel armor, and weapons and sending them to the mountain homes for free, will we ever see our civs starting to cut down other civs? Yeah, so that's, that's uh, we kind of addressed this earlier with once we add equipment that the armies understand without having to kind of like load up individual historical figures' inventories, but just say this army has this stuff, this caravan has this stuff, then the caravans that leave your fortress with your items will actually track those items. I mean, they already do, in, actually, but they don't use them for anything. Um, but they'll they'll have, a, I mean, the armies themselves, the caravan armies moving on the map will track those and then dump them in the civ stockpile. I mean, the, the, the sites also have stockpiles of goods, 
but they only come up when you go to the shops. There's just kind of this patchwork that's slowly building the economy with little disparate points that are all just going to kind of suddenly form into a picture. <laughs> it's it's weird how it's been growing up, but we have we have some information and just a little bit more, and suddenly all of your trade goods would have some impact, especially when we start doing things like army equipment, then it'll really matter. And you will see, you know, big changes uh, with how your, your civilization can respond to, to threats and so on. It should be, uh, should be interesting when we get to that. The next question comes from Florp Incarnate, and he asks, it seems that in Dwarf Fortress 2014, twisting wound embedded weapons no longer exists. This is suboptimal for a true Dwarven torture chamber simulator. Are there any plans to bring this feature back? Yes, the the thing that happened there, kind of like with the 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 bows reloading and stuff, there were when we when we did the combat movement speed split, we switched everything over to a new system of unit moves, which are it gives a little action and it has a timer and so on, and units can be doing several moves at once and all that kind of thing, and twists were not moved over to the system just as a time expedient. I just commented them out and put a note somewhere, and the note is sitting in the short-term development file, and it's just one of those things that is sitting there flopping around waiting to be done. And um, we're all for twists. Twists are well within the uh, parameters of what we want the game to be like, and uh, we'll just get to it um, when we get to it. So that brings us to the end of another Dwarf Fortress talk. We would really like to thank everybody now. Take take some time and thank everybody who's helping us with this project. The people who contribute financially, that's very important. We wouldn't be able to do any any of this without you. We'd be uh, teaching math and and working at the shipyard. So, yeah, and thanks to um, everybody that asked questions this time. And we're going to need your help again because we're out of questions. Uh, we did sit on these questions <laughs> for quite a long time, but they've been answered now, and uh, we'd like some more, especially now that we have a new release to talk about, um, which was kind of one of the things holding up all of these. Uh, the DF talks is is just having such a long release process. Oh, thank you for listening, by the way, listening to all of our babbling. <laughs> it takes some patience and fortitude, but they can do it, especially since we cut out. If you hear feedback, it was a million times worse. This is our second try at this podcast. <laughs> we had to relearn how to do it. <laughs> Let's see. Who else? The wiki. Everybody works on mods to make the game more fun to play for those who can't suffer through the ASCII. That's right, people answer future Fortress questions. All of our intrepid bug tracker managers who always have their work cut out for them. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so congratulations to the generous with your time and everything else that, you, that you've uh, done for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And look forward to the next Dwarf Fortress talk in the future sometime. <laughs> Maybe fewer than 18 months, but in the, future. In the not too distant future. Foreseeable future. That's right, it'll be foreseeable. <laughs>